part two, um, fully committed part one, but on today I want to continue with fully committed part two. I need everybody to say this out your mouth. Say, I am fully committed. Say, I am fully committed. Um, I said this on last week, and I want to kind of pick this up and move this forward. Jesus does not, uh, Jesus does not just want fans, but he wants and needs followers. People that are not in the stands cheering the game on, but individuals that have made up their mind that they will get in the game no matter what. Because being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you must be a disciple. Everybody say disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower or student of a teacher. A disciple is someone who takes up the ways of someone else. A disciple of Jesus is someone who learns from him to live like him. Let me say that again. A disciple of Jesus is someone who learns from him to live like him. A disciple is someone who conforms his or her words and ways to the words and the ways of Jesus Christ. It means that you have to conform yourself to the teacher, uh, whoever is teaching you. Mm. That's dangerous because in this day and time, sometimes I, wanna, I wonder with the saints, who's teaching you? Does TV teach you more than the word of God? Do your no good friends teach you more than what God has to say about it? Oh, y'all ain't got no good, no good friends? Okay, y'all gonna sit up here and act like y'all ain't got no, no good friends. You know you got some ratchet friends on, 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 on standby. Amen, amen, amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm gonna talk to just about five of y'all that wanna be honest this morning. A disciple is a learner. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to allow Jesus to teach you. Teach you a new way. Teach you how to live a new life. Teach you how to turn down sin. Teach you a new way of thinking. And I'm scared, beloved, that the people of God don't want to be taught a new way. Haven't you discovered by now that the old way ain't working? I'm going to preach to myself this morning. Y'all sleepy. But is there anybody in here that say, my old way has gotten me in a whole lot of trouble, and I'm willing to learn a new way in order for me to go down a new road? <laughs> okay. Touch your neighbor. Say a new way, a new way, a new way. Let go of that old way. Let go of the old way of you, how you used to do it and how, how you used to handle it and how you used to say it and, how, and who you used to be. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And is there anybody in here that's grateful to God on the onset of this message that could give God a little bit of praise that when God started teaching me a new way, I got a new life in Jesus, and I'm grateful for it. Saints don't like the new way. So we said this on last week, Matthew the 11th chapter, verse number 28. Let's go to Matthew 11, verse number 28. Matthew 11, verse number 28. Matthew 11, verse number 28. to these two scriptures on last week, but I want to kind of lay this out a little bit deeper um, and go a little bit further in, in this process. Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse number 28. If you have it, say amen. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Everybody say, come to me. Go over to Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse number 24. Matthew 16, verse number 24. Matthew 
Matthew 16, chapter, verse number 24. Jesus says, come to me in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 28. But Matthew 16, verse number 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and what? Follow me. Jesus says, come to me. But after you come to me, now you got to follow me. Watch this. Hear this, beloved, because growth in God does not happen when you come to him. Mm. It happens, watch this, when you follow him. Let me say that one more time. Growth in God does not happen when you come to him. Growth in God happens when you what? Follow him. That's why you can come to Jesus and still not change. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about you. That's why you can come to Jesus and still not change. Because coming to Jesus saves you, but following Jesus changes you. That was good right there. I said coming to Jesus saves you, but following Jesus changes you. Because when you follow Jesus, he shines the light on your imperfections and shows you how to make them right. When you follow Jesus, he makes you face the ugly places in your life, and he helps to make them beautiful. Ah, When you follow Jesus, he takes the pain you've been carrying for years, and he heals where it hurts. Because when you follow Jesus, that's when your life starts changing. And I need to know, is there anybody in here... That can say, when I came to Jesus, that was for my salvation. But when I started following Jesus, that's when he started changing the way I talk. That's when he started changing the way I think. That's when he started changing the way I love my enemies. Is there any followers of Jesus in here that could give God just a little bit of praise and say, my whole life changed, not when I came to Jesus, but when I started following him. Look down your row and tell him, follow him today. Follow him today. Follow him. Because if you follow him, your life will change. Well, I'm coming to church, ain't nothing changing. Are you following him? Or are you just coming to church? I'm singing on the choir, I'm ushering on the board. But ain't nothing in my life changing. Are you following him? Or did you just come to him? Because it is possible to serve just because you came to him. But when you follow him, it means he has an intimate relationship with you. It means while you're in the middle of your conversation, he'll whisper in your ear and tell you to shut up. I ain't got no church this morning. I will preach this all by myself. When you start following Jesus, you'll see the text at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you'll turn the phone over and say, I'm going to bed. Is there anybody in here that say, when you start following Jesus, he will rearrange your entire life. He will change you, not from the outside, but from the inside. Ah, is there anybody in here that say, I'm grateful to God that he done changed me. I need to know, are there any change saints in this house that say, I'm grateful that he changed me. But to be a developing disciple of Jesus Christ that leads to a changed life, listen to this, takes an unwavering commitment to the process that Jesus takes you on. Question, freedom, are you committed to the process? Are you committed to the process? Is your commitment to the process of your discipleship the same as your commitment to cleaning up your credit? Because, you know, January, we out of debt. 2019 going to be my year. But then when that July 4th sale came around, am I talking to anybody this morning? <sighs> See, 
to be a developing disciple takes an unwavering commitment to the process that Jesus takes us on. Commitment, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to bust your little bubble, but commitment has not become a user-friendly word in the world or even in the church. We don't like the word commitment. We don't like the word commitment. People are nowadays looking for a backdoor exit on their original commitment. Word is bond. Stop lying. That is why people sign prenuptial agreements just to keep a backup plan, just in case this don't work out. Well, are we committed or are we not? Nowadays, people stay on jobs an average three to five years, even if it's a good paying job, because we are not committed to our jobs as we portray on Monday morning. You know how much strength it took you to even get up out the bed on Monday. You know how I know you're not committed? Because the next job that pay a dollar more, you out. Touch your neighbor and say, these saints ain't loyal. These saints ain't loyal. These saints ain't loyal. <laughs> Check the record. You so committed. I need a ride or die. You done had five booze in this year alone. I said five. I said five. Y'all don't like me today. I don't like the tone of voice you're looking at me in. <laughs> and we take the same approach to God. Watch this. That if God takes me through anything that requires too much of myself, I disconnect my commitment and move on to something else. It's going to get tight right through here. If God requires too much of an alteration in my life, then I give up and I walk away. I ain't doing all that. I got to come to church every Sunday. Every Sunday. God requires me to go through a process of self-denial, requires me to give up my rights to my future, and expects total obedience. Then I throw in the towel and I find something else to distract me. your neighbor one more time and say, these saints ain't loyal. But Jesus said, are you willing to be my disciple to the place that no matter what I take you through, you remain fully committed? God help me. Uh, I need to know, is there anybody in here that's made up in your mind? I'm going to be fully committed to God because come what may, I'm staying with Jesus. If I struggle, I'm sticking with Jesus. I don't have a dime to my name. I'm still staying with Jesus. Other people can give up and walk away, but I will hold fast the confession of my hope without wavering. I'm I'm staying with Jesus. Is there anybody in here that say, come hell or high water, I'm staying with Jesus? Because I've discovered when you stick with Jesus, he'll pull you through every single time. Can we take a praise break right there and find out, is there anybody in here that say, come hell or high water, I'm sticking with Jesus? You can't shake me from my commitment because he's the only thing that, 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 that holds me through it all. I would have given up a long time ago. I ain't got no real folk. Can I just talk to about five of y'all? I would have walked away. Come on, Amber, can we have real talk? I would have walked away from church a long time ago. 
if it wasn't for God pulling me through everything I've went through, God help me. Is there anybody here that say, I try to give up on the church. I try to give up on God. I try to say, oh, I'm forgetting all this. I'm just going to walk away. But when God got you in his hand, oh, he'll protect you through the rain. He'll protect you through the storm. That when you want to give up, there's something in you that's called a bounce back anointing that I bounce back from the tears and I bounce back from the hurt and I bounce back from the betrayal. Is there anybody in here that say, I'm fully committed because being with Jesus is better than being without him. And Jesus wants to know, are you willing to pay the price to follow Jesus? Because following Jesus, here we go, will cost you comfort and convenience. I said following Jesus will cost you the price of brokenness and burdens. Following Jesus will cost you the price of problems and pain. But even if it costs you something, if you pay the price, this is for about seven of y'all. God told me to tell you, it will all pay off after a while. God help me. Ah, weeping may endure for a night, but joy is going to come in them. I feel like preaching right there because it will all be worth it after a while. Is there anybody in here that say these light afflictions are but for a moment because it's all going to pay off after a while? Is there anybody in here that can look at your life and say, I've been to hell and back, but it all paid off after a while? Somebody in here, give God a little bit of praise because you serve a God that if he takes you through, it's going to all pay off after a while. Give your neighbor a high five and say it's going to all pay off after a while. It's going to all be worth it after a while. The sleepless nights, the hurt, the burdens, the betrayal, the people walking away, it will all be worth it after a while. It's going to all be worth it after a while. It will all be worth it after a while. It will all be worth it after a while. Oh, it'll all be worth it after a while. I'm trying to let it go, but I need to encourage somebody. I know it seemed like you catching hell, but I came to announce to you, it's going to all be worth it after a while. I know you on that job, and it seemed like it's a dead end, but God told me to tell you it's going to all be worth it after a while because when God gets done with what he's going to get done with, he's going to turn the thing around, and he's going to make what what God what the enemy meant for evil, he's going to turn it and use it for your good. Is there anybody in here that say it will all be worth it after a while? Clap your hands open up your mouth and give God glory like you know it's all gonna be worth it and look at how Jesus pays lays out the price of following him as a disciple go over to Luke the 14th chapter Luke 14 verse number 25 this is our this is our text for this month uh, Luke 14 verse 25 we're actually going to do all the way to 35 but on this morning we're just going to deal with one scripture Luke 14, 25, uh, we dealt with this last week, 25, 26, and 27. Um, and I want to look at this just to kind of lay the groundwork just in case you weren't here last week so I could catch you up because I can't move you to the next spot until you get this, this part first. Luke 14, verse number 25. If you have it, say amen. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister. Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? We looked at this last week. Number one, he says, we're saying Jesus must come before what? Personal relationships. Let the church say personal relationships. 
Jesus is saying that in comparison to anyone else, your affections for other people can't even come close to the love you have for him. Jesus is calling us to have a love for him that is so consuming, so fervent, so absolute that all our earthly affections cannot come close. Uh, that's why you like your neighbor. You might even love your neighbor. But is there anybody here that say, I like you and I love you, but I'm lost without him, Jesus Christ. I, I care about you, but I am, I'm completely incomplete without him. I love you, but I need him. Oh, God. Uh, you are an asset, but he's a necessity. And without him, I'd be lost. Without him, I'm like a ship without a sail. I need Jesus. I know this is a day and time where you can take him or leave him. I know that, you know, he's one of your options. I know that, you know, you got him and a sugar daddy. I know you got him and a sugar mama. I know you got him and your good paying job. I know you got him and your education. I know you got him and your influence. But is there anybody in here that's ever gone through a situation where your money, your friends, your boo, your influence, your connections, your job couldn't get you out of the hell that you were in? But who was the one that reached down and picked you up? Yeah, God, I feel that. Who is the one that rescued you out of the muck and out of the mire? Is there anybody in here that say it was nobody else but Jesus? And the reason I worship him the way I do, the reason why I'm loud in church, the reason why my hands go up is because when I think of the goodness of Jesus, and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Is there anybody in here that could open up your mouth and give God just a little bit of praise because he's your all in all. He's my all in all. And so Jesus uses father, mother, wife, children, brother, and sister because watch this. He says, you got to love me more than them. Watch this because those relationships have the power to realign your heart. Let me say that again. Those relationships have the power to realign your heart. My mother was in town this week. She was at my house. She was working my nerves. And uh, she was trying to direct stuff like it was her house. And I said, you know, your house is in Charlotte. This, this is my house. You know, because I was raised, you know, you pay the cost to be the boss. And so I told her something. And I said, listen, this is my house. I need you to respect, respect my house. So I'm sitting there mad, and I'm fuming. And then my mama said, son, can you do such and such for me? And like a puppy dog, yes, ma'am. <laughs> now, two minutes ago, I was mad. Watch this, because there's some connections in your life that no matter what's going on, they can realign your hearts. <laughs> oh, y'all ain't never been in love with nobody like that before? Come on, you could be dead, be tired. And they could call you 3 o'clock in the morning and say, I need some medicine. What you do, you're going to get up out your bed. Come on. Is there anybody here that know what I'm talking about? That there's some relationships in your life that can realign your heart. And Jesus is saying, I need you to compare how what you do for them versus what you do for me. I, I know you'll get up out the bed at 3 o'clock in the morning for them. But will you get up out the bed at 8 o'clock to be at church on 10, at 10 o'clock for me? Because I need to see, it's the same. Do I get more or do I get less than everybody else? Jesus wants to know um, when I have your heart watch this he doesn't have to compete with others in your life he said I am God and beside me there is none other and watch this sometimes you got to tell people if you're going to be in my life you better respect my number one 
<laughs> Y'all so quiet on me. It's all right. I said, if you're going to be in my life, you got to respect my number one. You got to be okay and settled in the fact that you will always be my number two because my number one will never change. He's my God. He's the lover of my soul. He's the apple of my eye. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. He's the jelly on my biscuit. Come on. Is there anybody in here that say, I'm in madly in love with Jesus? Do I have any Jesus lovers in this house that say, come hell or high water, I am madly in love with Jesus and can't nobody shake me out of that? Can't nobody move me from that? I, if I have to make a choice between him and between you, trust and believe. I'm going to choose him every time. You are a benefit, but he is my necessity. Is there anybody in here that say, I am in love with Jesus? So Jesus comes before personal relationships. Number two, Jesus must come before personal reputa repu uh, reputation. Jesus says, you're not even to love you more than you love Jesus. Mm. I know this generation teach you to love yourself. Um, ain't nothing wrong with loving you. Ain't nothing wrong with taking care of you. But Jesus wants to know, watch this, are you a bigger God than me? Are you seated on the throne of your heart? Or am I seated on the throne of your heart? Jesus is saying that you have, have to take yourself off the throne of your heart and enthrone Jesus Christ. Because when you love him like this, it's a consuming, passionate, intense, and joyous love for Christ that is so strong that we are willing to put ourselves lower on the priority list of our lives. Jesus comes before my personal reputation. It means I'm so enraptured by the love of Jesus that my love never grows cold. I never get bored by him, and I never get tired of him. They used to say this in the old church, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. God help me. Because when you fall in love with somebody like that, uh, when he talked to you two weeks ago, it was good. But when he talked to you this morning, you felt goose pimples. Oh, is there anybody here that know that kind of love? That I love him more today than I did on yesterday. I love him more today than the last trial I went through. I love him more today than the last thing I had to go through. Because when I went through the pain, and when I went through the sickness, and when I went through the doubt, and when I went through the depression, I discovered that he's a keeper oh god and nobody can keep you like him that's why i love him the way that i do i need somebody here to throw your hands up and tell god i love you i love you i love you i love you with all my heart i love you with all my mind i love you with all my strength i love you i love you with everything inside of me i love you more than i love myself and if i have to choose between philip and jesus i have to say no to philip and say yes to jesus Jesus must come before personal relationships. Jesus must come before personal reputation. But lastly, Jesus must come before personal realization. Jesus says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be, what, my disciple. Because a cross is something that you are willingly, that you willingly take up. So when I take up my cross, watch this, and be crucified with Christ, it means, watch this, that I am only facing one way. I'm not going back, and I have no further plans of my own. Can I ask you a question, Frida? Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Um, has, 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 has your agenda stopped yet and picked up his agenda? I just, I just want to know. I, I know you came to him, but are you following him to the place that you're being crucified? That your agenda is crucified? That your way of thinking is crucified? That your wants and your wishes are crucified? I know you're following him, but has your agenda stopped and his plan have been enacted in your life. So I must be willing to worship at any cost. But today, I want to deal with verse number 28, Luke 14, verse 28 and 29. This is what I want to deal with on today. Y'all got it? Luke 14, verse 28 and 29. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Watch this, verse 29. For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Ain't that a mess? Um, our first place was we had to worship at any cost, that he has to be seated on the throne of our hearts. But our second place that we're going to go to today is we have to work at any cost. Everybody say work. Verse 26 and 27, Jesus deals with our crucifixion. But in verse 28 and 29, now he deals with our construction. Watch this. It means that God wants to build you. You didn't came to him. Now you're following him. When you follow him, you have to be crucified. But now that you've been crucified, now you got to go through the construction process. You are being made every single day of your life. You are being made into the image of his son. He's, he's constructing you to be what you've never been before. That's why some of you need to get a little bit more praise on your lips. Because the you you used to be, you ain't that no more. Okay, I wish I had somebody right there. I know y'all tired. You done, you done partied all weekend long. Done had you too many drinks and now you done came in here. And you're tired and you're sleepy and you're worn out. But is there anybody in here that say, who I used to be, I ain't that no more. And, I'm, and I give God the praise and give God the glory. If you knew who I was 10 years ago. If you knew who I was 15 years ago, you wouldn't even want to sit next to me. But thanks be unto God that God came into my life and started making me to be something I've never been before. I need to take a pause for the cause and find out is there anybody in here that can give God glory and give God praise that who you used to be, you ain't that no more. Somebody clap your hands, open up your mouth and say, thank God I ain't that no more. And even if you got a picture of me, and even if you did it with me, and even if you was right there, I ain't that no more because he's making me. He's building me. God wants to take your life and build, watch this, what was not there. God wants to build you to be, listen to this, a strong, enduring example of what life looks like when you work with God to build it. That's what he wants to do with your life. Can I say that one more time? Because I need you to get this. God wants to build you to be a strong, enduring example of what a life looks like when you work with God to build it. That's why you can't judge your neighbor's life of where they are right now. Look at your neighbor say, because he ain't done with me yet. <laughs> I know I done came a long way, but I still got a long way to go. And that's why you can't judge my life. Don't you put your mouth on my life right now, because he's still working me and molding me and shaping me to be who he wants me to be. And the reason why I still act up every now and again, and the reason why my flesh gets the best of me, and the reason why I might, uh-huh, 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 I ain't got no real folk. I so, I hate y'all sadiddy, church people that act like you don't know what I'm talking about. The reason why I still struggle a little bit and still, uh-huh, I know I'm new in Jesus, but I still got some stuff in my bones that still come up out every now and again because God is still working on me. And is there anybody in here that's grateful to God that God didn't take his hand off your life, but he's shaping you and molding you every day to be what he wants you to be? Watch this. Every time I come to church, I'm working with God. 
to build the life he has for me. Every time I fast, I'm working with God to build a life God wants for my life. Every time I show up to Bible study, every time I work in ministry, every time I give when I don't have it, I'm working with God to build the life he has for me. Now, I need to, I need to kind of bust up a misnomer in the church because we preach a theology in the church nowadays that Jesus is just going to do everything for you. That he's just going to come along and, you know, you know, money coming to me now. Okay, it ain't there. Um, you know, spin around three times. You got it. Slap five with your neighbor. You coming out. By this time tomorrow, and you get there tomorrow, and you still ain't got it. Because the process works like this, beloved. Hear your pastor. You got to work with him. Faith without works is dead. You know that scripture. Watch this. Because God ain't going to do it for you. Nor, watch this, let me teach you a deep principle. He's not going to supersede your own will. He gave you free will on purpose. So God is not going to do anything for you. You have to be a participant, a willing participant in the process that he has you in. That's why they used to say, it ain't in the Bible, but it sounds good. If you make one step, God will make two. Uh, because you got to work with God. Look at your neighbor and say, work with God. Work with God. Let me, let me show it to you. Psalms 127. Psalms 127, verse number 1. Go to Psalms 127, verse number 1. I got to show this to you. Because some of you say, well, Pastor, I prayed, and ain't nothing happened. I prayed. Now, y'all fix it like you've been praying and seeking God's face for the last three, five, seven weeks. But the reality is you prayed one time and wanted God to become your cosmic bellhop, your superficial and supernatural Santa Claus. And you pray one time and it's supposed to happen. But I gotta show you something in the scripture. Psalms 127, verse number one. Are you there? Unless the Lord, this is NIV version, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. All right, you see that? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You get caught up before the comma, but you need to see what happens after that comma. Unless the Lord builds the house, oh, he's going to build it. Hallelujah. He's going to get me out of debt. He's going to get me out of this situation. He's going to get me another job. He's going to do this thing. Unless the Lord builds the house, comma. The builders labor in vain. You know what that means? You got to put some work into this. I know you got big dreams, but how much work you got behind that dream? I knew you was going to get quiet. I came with my own amens. I know you got big ideas that you're going to do this and do that, and you got these great things. But is there anybody in here that say it don't happen by you snapping your finger? You got to put your hand to the plow, and you got to make some things work in your life. You got to go to work. You got to work on your dream. You got to work on your destiny. You still don't believe me. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. And I got to read this from the King James Version. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse number 9. 
1 Corinthians 3, verse number 9. Now, King James actually gets it right. Watch this. King James says, for we are laborers together with God. Let me say that again. We are laborers together with God. Ask your neighbor. Say, neighbor, are you working with him? Ask your neighbor this question. Say, neighbor, are you working with him? Are you working against him? Because the only way that your life is going to be built is you got to work with him. We are laborers with God. It means that we are working with God, laboring on the same task to build what he wants. So when God shows me the area that he wants me to work on, I work with him to build up that area. Let me say that again. When God shows me the area he wants me to work on, I work with him to build up that area. So, watch this. When he shows me the wickedness of my words, I work with him to build a language that is pleasing to God. Let's say, let's say, let's just, let's just use a scenario. We'll just use a scenario. Let's say you want to stop cussing. Got you with your neighbor. Let's say you want to stop cussing. Okay. Somebody lift your hand and say, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Let's say you want to stop cussing. Some of y'all ain't lift your hands and you got a PhD in cussology. Let's say you want to stop cussing. I don't excuse away bad behavior as if it's acceptable and then tell myself I'm working with God. I work with him to let him change me from the inside out. So when I look at the fact that I, watch this, that I'm cussing all the time, I need to trace back, where's my anger problem at? Because God, you shine the light on that. So work on that anger so that those words don't come up out my vocabulary. Wash my mind so that the words that are coming out of my mouth are pleasing and glorifying to you. I have to work with him. I don't make excuses and say if they didn't get on my nerves. Because, because, because not you, but your neighbor is always projecting on the everybody else the reason why you got a problem. So it's because you, my coworkers got on my nerves that I had to cuss them out. It's everybody else. If, 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 my, if my husband didn't, 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 didn't not take out the trash like I asked him to, I wouldn't have to have the attitude I got. Amber, I felt that spirit rise up. Well, you ain't got to live in it. I got to smelling all this in my house. Every husband in here, I need $5 after this sermon because I just helped you out. That, 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 don't, that don't determine, watch this, I don't excuse away the process because, watch this, I want to settle in my bad behavior. You got to work with God. You got to listen to his voice when he tell you, shut up. You got to listen to his voice when he tell you, walk away. 
you got to listen to his voice when he tell you, don't you answer that text. I ain't got no real people. I wish I was talking to somebody. You got to work with God. And the more you try to excuse it away, the more you're going to stay bound by it. Touch three people around you and tell them no more excuses, no more excuses, no more excuses, no more excuses. Well, everybody in my family talk like this. You in a new family now. You've been regenerated by Jesus Christ. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. You ain't that no more. When he shows me an error in my life, I have to work with God in order for it to change. Am I helping anybody? When he shows me, watch this, jealousy and pride in my heart, I work with him to build humbleness in my attitude. I said humbleness. I said humbleness. Okay, old people, humbleness. You take off the H. Humbleness. Watch this. Um, um, When he shows me, watch this. Um that I'm too clingy because I've been rejected by so many people that the only way I can feel good about myself is I got to latch on to everybody that come near me. When he shows me that, I got to work with him. I don't dig myself deeper into the dirt thinking that it's going to change. If I know I'm in a relationship that is not ordained by God, I don't then start, turn around and say, y'all, don't gonna, y'all ain't going to like this. It's all right. It's all right. Y'all ain't going to like this. Y- y'all ain't going to like this. But it's okay. Y'all ain't going to like what I'm getting ready to say. But it's okay. Send me an email. I don't care. I'm going to tell you. I-, I, can't, I can't say you can't help who you love. Because now I am making excuses for bad behavior. But I want, I want God to be pleased. I want God to be pleased. I want God to be pleased with my life. But I excuse away, watch this, here's the word, here's the word, y'all ready? Rebellion. The church has gone wild with rebellion. So we talk to people any kind of way, we treat them any kind of way, we borrow money, don't pay it back, we then get on social media and send subliminal messages to one another and all in people DMs, we do whatever we want to do and it's complete and utter rebellion and God is calling all of us, I said Freedom Church, God is calling all of us into order. I need you to touch somebody around you and say God is calling you into order. He wants you to get your life in order, he wants you to get your attitude in order, he wants you to get your thinking in order, come on, he wants you to get your finances in order. He wants you to get your future in order. God is calling us into order. All right. All right. You got to work with God. So my question, Freedom, is are you working with him? Because if you work with him, then he can change you. He is not going to strong arm you into his will. He's not going to make you do anything. You got to be a willing, I said a willing vessel. You got to lay yourself on the altar and say, God, whatever you want to do, my answer is yes. Somebody lift your hands and tell the Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes to your will, yes to your way, yes when I don't like it, yes when I'm upset, yes when I don't want to do it. My answer is still yes, Lord. Okay. Jesus says, my desire is to build you, watch this, like a tower. Y'all remember, we just read that, right? Towers during this time was a place for several reasons. Okay, so... This scripture is basically saying he's constructing you and building you.
okay? But he uses a term that is so strange. He says, I'm building you like a tower. Watch this. What tripped me out about this, Chantel, he didn't say, I'm building you like a sanctuary. I'm building you like a tower, okay? Catch this. Tower. Why a tower? Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, it was a place for fresh air. A tower was a place for fresh air. Watch this. Because a tower was built high enough to get the wind at a higher level. God is saying, I'm trying to build you to the place where you get fresh air. Not what you're smelling right now. low. No wonder why you keep smelling what you're smelling. No wonder why you keep living what you're living. You won't come up. God said, I'm going to build you like a tower that is high because I need you to catch the real wind. What you smelling? You smell that? You smell that anger. You smell that wretchedness. You smell it? You smell that disposition that you have when you go to work on Monday? Do you smell that? You smell that? You smell the way you roll your eyes when the person won't move over for you to sit down? <laughs> Do you smell that? Do you? Y'all getting real quiet. You smell that? Do you smell? You smell that? You see? You smell? You smell that lust? You smell that? You smell that unfaithfulness? You can smell it. You don't, you don't smell that? You know, I've discovered the reason why you don't smell it. Because sometimes when you live in it long enough, you no longer have a sense for it. I'm preaching my own self happy this morning. Oh, God is saying, do you smell that? And if you don't smell it, it means you got to come up a little bit higher. Touch your neighbor and say, come on up, come on up. You've been living too low long enough. You got to come up higher. He says, I'm building you like a tower because a tower gets fresh air. Number one. Number two, it was a place of refuge. A tower was a place of refuge. That what you needed to get away, you had a hiding place. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You got a safety place. You got a place that when God starts building your spirit, you got a place you can retreat to. Oh, I ain't talking about no physical place. Even if you ain't got no war room in your house, is there anybody here that know when hell is going on, sometimes all you got to do is go on your lunch break and get in that car, and you got a secret place that you can meet God in. And when I can't get to the church, I got a secret closet right down in my heart that I can call up God and he'll be right there for me. It was a place of refuge. Number three, it was a place of defense. The tower was a place of defense. It was built strong so that it could not be easily destroyed. God is saying, I'm trying to build you in this season so that you are not easily destroyed by the enemies of your life. It ain't going to take you out. God, I felt that right there. Grab your neighbor by the hand and tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you got some enemies, but it will not take you out. Come on, touch them and say, no weapon that's formed against you 
shall be able to prosper because you are a tower for the Lord. Is there anybody here that say, I got some enemies over my life that's trying to take me out, but I will not be defeated. I will be victorious because God is making me a tower. He's building you up so that you have a defense, that you have a defense, that you have a defense, that you have a defense. You got a defense against that negative mindset. You got a defense of, of the things that they say to you and how they say it to you. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that. You got a defense, here we go, of your triggers. And when they come back to try to push that button, the button doesn't move. Is there anybody here that say, my button doesn't move, and what the devil tried yesterday, it ain't going to work today. Somebody lift your hands and tell the devil, it ain't going to work today. It's a place of defense. But number four, it was a place of prayer. The tower was a place of prayer. The tower was a place of prayer. They would go into the tower as a meeting place with God. He's trying to build you so that you are a meeting place with God. Watch this. Let me help you. This is why some, okay, this ain't for everybody. This is for some of y'all. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is why Complete strangers come to you and tell you their whole life story. This is why you be in the grocery store just trying to check out, and they want to strike up a whole conversation. You know why? Because God is trying to make you a meeting place with him. That if they never come to freedom, they found you. And Christ in you permeates out of you. And all of a sudden, you sitting there talking to them and letting them know. And you looking at them and say, honey, everything going to be all right. God got your back. In fact, I touch it a Greek. Can we pray right now? God bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You ain't got to call down fire from heaven. God is making you a meeting place that people will find him through you. That's why he's making you a tower. Watch this. It was a place that was made high and strong. High so that it allowed you to see the enemy approaching strong so that you could not be easily destroyed. Jesus is saying that you must work to build your life, to build your faith at any cost so that you can see the enemy coming. And even if the enemy comes, it will not destroy you. Came to tell somebody in 2019, depression will not take you out this year. God help me. Emotions will not consume you this year. Trouble can come, but it will not destroy you. Why? Because he's building you high and strong at the same time. The purpose of the tower, watch this. I was looking at this tower. I was trying to figure out all, of, all the dimensions of this tower. And the last point of the tower, watch this. The purpose of the tower is to protect, catch this, the vineyard. It was set up in the middle of a vineyard because it was the place where if the enemy was trying to come and tear your stuff up, you could see the enemy coming. Watch this. So our tower is there, catch this, for fruitfulness. God wants to make you fruitful. Can I prophesy this to about, about 10 of y'all? God is saying, in 2016, 17, and 18, you spent your wheels and a lot of energy, and it got you nowhere. God is saying, by the end of 2019, if God be God, he going to make some fruitfulness come from your life. God, I wish I had somebody that would see the word of the Lord. God said, I'm going to make your life fruitful. Is there anybody in here that say, I ain't going to do all this work for nothing, but God is going to make my life fruitful. Get a good look at me right now, because where God is getting ready to take me, I'm getting ready to bear fruit. I ain't just going to have leaves 
trees on the tree. I'm going to have fruit on my tree. I need all the fruitful people in here to lift your hands, open up your mouth, and tell God, thank you that you're making me fruitful. I ain't doing all this serving for nothing. I ain't preaching all this for nothing. He going to make my life fruitful. I said, he's going to make my life fruitful. And can I bless you real good? Some of you are going to sow in one area, but you're going to reap in another. So stop looking for your fruit to come from the same place that you sowed in. Ah, but those that sow in tears, get ready to reap in joy. God says, I'm going to make your life fruitful. All right, he's making you fruitful. So how does God want to build our lives? He's going to make you a tower. How does he want to build your lives? Three points and I'm out of here. Number one, watch this real quick. He wants to, it, 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 he's, going to um, he's going to build your life, and it's going to be, watch this, number one, spiritually conceived. Spiritually conceived. Spiritually conceived. It means that I no longer have a right to say to the Lord what I will do with my life. I ain't talking about discipleship. I ain't talking about just coming. I'm talking about being a follower of Jesus Christ. I no longer have a right to say to the Lord what I will do with my own life. I give way to my dreams for his destiny. Let me say that again. I give way of my dreams to his destiny. My dream was to be an architect. I got drawings at the house right now of churches. teenager drawing plans of churches I laid out the whole church knew where the pulpit was knew where the choir stand was I knew how I wanted all the seating I knew where I wanted the bathrooms at and my plan was I was going to go to Tuskegee University and go in their architecture program and when I found out how much it cost UNF here I come <laughs> I, 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 that was my plan for my life but when you become a disciple, he has a greater plan than your plan. Watch this. His greater plan might pay less, but it'll be more fulfilling. I'm getting ready to go in the door right here. I need y'all to stay with me. So what I do has to be spiritually conceived and not, spirit, not fleshly contrived. Most of what we live is fleshly contrived. I see them, they look good, they sound good to me, they, they tickle my fancy, they stroke my ego, they, you know, and so let me get with that. I don't see if they got a prayer life, I don't care. I don't see if, you know, we should pay all her bills, I don't, you know. I don't look at um, how much she spent on trying to look good versus how much she spent on her future. I'm trying to help a brother out, there, out right here. I don't look at none of that. I, I don't see if she can pray me through when I'm going through what I'm going through. I look at her shape. And that's all that matters to me. That's fleshly contrived. I don't see if he's out of debt and pays all his bills. He just got a nice car. I don't ask the question, is the nice car the same as a house note? I am helping you today. I don't ask those questions. I don't, I don't ask the question, um, is he Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? 
come here. Does he play the part in church, but he acts something totally different when he leaves here? I don't ask those questions. Because when it is fleshly contrived, I fix it and form it to fit what I want. I don't look at, is this job really fitting my life? I just look at the fact that it paid me more money. I don't ask the question, will this job take me away from my kids? I don't ask those questions because it's fleshly contrived. I want it to fit my flesh because I know if I make more money, I'm going to look good and have more trips. I never ask the question, is this job going to take me completely away from church? Because I know if I ain't in church, I really ain't going to be committed to God. I'm just not at that place yet. Because it's fleshly contrived. And God is saying, I'm tired of you trying to be fleshly contrived. I need you to get to the place where you are spiritually conceived. I no longer force my life to be something God never called it to be. And many of us struggle with this because we feel like we are not doing what God has called us to do with our lives. We spend our energy and effort trying to do what we feel would make us feel complete and significant. But could it be? Could it be? Y'all listening to the pastor this morning? Could it be that God has you on that job not for your pleasure but for his purpose? This, this might be a little too heavy for y'all. This too heavy for y'all? Could, could it be? Could, could Deidre, the Lord said this to me, and um, I'm still chewing on this. I'm not quite there yet, okay? I'm just going to be honest. He said, could your call be tied to your calamity? So I'm on this job. I don't like none of these people. I feel like I'm in hell every day. I said every day. But could my calling be tied to that? Has God strategically planted me there? Because what he wants to do in me and through me is spiritually conceived and not fleshly contrived. Can I move forward? Or is this too much for y'all? I feel, you know what I feel? I feel your toes going like this. Just tighten it up real good. Go to Genesis, the 29th chapter. Genesis 29, verse 31. Genesis 29. I got to show you this in a different light. I might end this right here on this verse right here. Genesis 29, verse 31. Because I don't think I, I can move from this. Spiritually conceived, not fleshly contrived. Genesis 29, verse 31. Can we work this out just real quick? Let me, let me work this out. Verse 31. When Leah, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, y'all see that? He enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him what? Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, affliction, and now my husband will love me. Stop right there. Stop right there. Leah was Jacob's wife, but Jacob didn't want Leah. Jacob wanted his, her sister, Rachel, Okay. Uh, Jacob, his name means trickster, supplanter. You know, he was a con artist. The con got conned. And he runs into Laban. Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. He comes to Laban and says, Laban, let me, have, let me have that Rachel. Um, he said, you work for me seven years, I'll give it to you. I'll give, her, give her to you. And 
what happens is um, he works seven years, gets drunk, sleeps with her, and wakes up the next morning to find out he slept with the wrong woman. Because biblically, when you sleep with you, when they when you sleep with somebody, you're married. <laughs> I'm not going there right now. That's another sermon. It's another sermon. It's another sermon. Because <laughs> a lot of us need to get divorced. <laughs> Watch this. So he gets tricked, wakes up and says, how could you do this to me? He said, work another seven years and I give you Rachel. Watch this. The Bible says the Lord, the, the Lord saw that Leah, the one he didn't want, was unloved. And so he enabled her to have children, but not the one that he really wanted. Y'all with me? Watch this. Leah then starts having these babies because Leah hoped that the new baby would cause him to love her. I know you're not going to answer this question. When I wrote this down, I said, Lord, they ain't going to be honest with this question, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Have you ever done something to call someone to love you or care about you more? Have you ever put yourself out there only to end up more rejected? I know this is tight right through here. You work harder at work and they still don't notice you. You try harder in that relationship and they still take you for granted. And watch this. And this is what happens. This is what happens. Fleshly contrived. This is what happens. When your efforts go unnoticed it, or unacknowledged, it causes misery in your life. God told me to tell you this to tell this to you. Watch this. Watch your movements when you're in misery. Because you will always move to convenient but not covenant. See, when I'm miserable, I start making these moves that might not have anything to do with God. Watch this, because when you're miserable, what do you want to do? You just want to feel better. So let me start making these moves. Let me, let me, let me, let me, well, everybody else in Atlanta, let me go too. Let me start making these moves. I'm miserable. I'm sick of this car. Can't afford a new one. But I go to the parking lot. And, oh, you can get this one at a 29% interest rate. Because when you're miserable, you start making moves. I ain't got no real people right through here that don't want to tell the truth. This is a little too tight for y'all. When you're miserable, you make bad moves. Don't let you be single for a long time. When you're miserable, you start making moves. Let that relationship that, that married you in go through a rocky season. You start Googling Divorce in Florida. Anybody ever been in a season where you were miserable and Google became your best friend? Y'all ain't got, listen, I'm going to talk to some real people because all of a sudden you get all these ideas of how to make your life better because you are miserable and you tired of living like this. Because my imaginary life looks a whole lot better than the reality of what I'm living right now. And God says, cast down your imagination. You're going to move to Atlanta and make less money? 
get divorced because you think the grass is green on the other side? You don't like the grass? You don't like the grass water it? Come here. I'm tired of being unacknowledged at freedom, so let me move to another church. Because I'm living in misery. Pastor set the whole church down. I'm just tired of this. So let me go somewhere else so I can be rebellious like I want to be. I was talking to my sister yesterday, and I'm going to get off this point. I was talking to my sister yesterday. She said something that just rocked my world. She said, it is amazing to me. She said she had to come off of Facebook. She said, because it's amazing to me how the saints will look at preachers on Facebook who don't know them and use the word that they preach to justify their own rebellion in their church. And they don't know you. Oh, Lord, you got me out here now. I don't know what you want me to do with this. Look at verse 33. This, this is my last point. I ain't even going to two and three. I'm done with this. Verse 33 says, she soon came, became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simon. Oh, Simeon. I'm sorry. Simeon. For she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Leah now believes that another son would cause Jacob to love her. So she has another son, which she named Simeon, which means here. Because when you feel like you're not being heard, you search for something that hears you out. When you feel like you're not being heard, you search for a listening ear. So if your wife ain't listening to you, your husband ain't listening to you, now you got to search for somebody that will hear you out. And all there is a, is a devil in a blue dress. You look for a listening ear. Can I tell you something? This is where social media becomes dangerous. Because everyone is listening on social media. And you can get someone to agree with you. But few on your timeline see what God has conceived in your spirit. You want somebody to agree with you? Put it out on social media. You get one fool to come along. You right. I wouldn't take that. You wouldn't take it because you weren't assigned to it. But when you've been assigned to it, you will take what you got to take because it's purpose over your life. It ain't your job to take it. It's my job to take it. Verse 34. Now, how many babies she done had? Two. Verse 34. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. Uh, NIV says affection, but the actual word right there is attachment. This, this is the son of attachment, because Levi means attach. Watch this, watch this. Winchell, this thing blew me all the way out. You ready for this? Look at verse 34 again. I'm gonna read it one more time because it's something that you completely miss when you read it. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named 
Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel more affection for me since I have given him three sons. You don't see it. Go back to verse 33. I want you to see something. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She said to him, Simeon, for she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Go back to verse 32. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. Verse 32, so Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She said, name him Reuben, Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery. Verse 32 says, the Lord. Verse 33 says, the Lord. But by the time you get to verse 34, notice the Lord ain't nowhere there. God, this messed me up so bad. Jesus, help me preach this. Look how far she has come. The first two sons, she mentions the Lord, but now she is birthing without the leading and the guiding of the Lord. She don't even mention him anymore. This is the danger, ladies and gentlemen, of allowing your feelings to get ahead of your faith. Because when your feelings get ahead of your faith, you will edge God out of it. Come here. Come here. January, you was talking about how good God is. Now we can't even get you to say how good he is. Because when you've been through misery, when you feel like you ain't being heard, when you feel unattached, all of a sudden the Lord get missing. Ain't that a mess? She don't even mention him by the third child. Now she's just doing it. Question, when last time you invited the Lord into your plans? Because you'll start to do things without God. You'll make decisions without God. You'll make changes without consulting God. You will edge God out. Because I'm done. Just like Leah, you'll start to believe, hear me, that your cause is greater than your calling. So you will tell yourself that what I'm doing is noble, and because it's noble, God should get on my page. What I'm doing is honorable, then God should be all right with it. God is saying, get attached to me and let me guide you. This is heavy. Lean not to your own understanding. But by the time we get to verse number 35, once again, Leah became pregnant. She gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. See, how do you know it's God when it ends with praise? When God starts to get the glory out of what you're doing, that's when you know that God is in the center of it. And is there anybody in here that say, I need God to be in the middle of everything that I do. I can't make a decision without him. I can't go to work without him. I can't go to church without him. I need God to be pleased. I will not go to the left without him. I will not go to the right without him. I need him every single day. It's got to be spiritually conceived, not fleshly contrived. This thing was too heavy, but I got stuck right there. I need to have an honest moment with you. And not everybody's going to be honest. Because some of us, we are professionals at playing the church game. We know how to play it real good. We know how to put the face on. But is there anybody in here that I need to pray with that 
there are some things in my life I have spiritually, I have fleshly contrived, and it had nothing to do with the Spirit. I'm asking you, because I'm going to pray with you. I need an alteration in my life. Because I've been trying to do this thing the way I wanted to do it. In fact, I didn't even consult God on some of this stuff. But I want to surrender it to him today. If he wants to take it, he can take it. If he wants to keep it, he can keep it. Whatever he wants to do, my answer is yes. If I'm talking to you this morning, and you know there are some things that you have fleshly contrived in your life that had nothing to do with the spirit. If you want to be free, I need you to stand to your feet. Because the Lord says, I need to pray with you. made a decision and I didn't consult God about it I didn't ask him nothing truth of the matter is I didn't ask him because I didn't want to hear, hear his opinion I wanted to do this thing the way I wanted to do it I thought I knew better than God and now I feel boxed in because I didn't got myself in a situation that I need rescuing from you stand, I'm standing with you. Because I'm looking at areas in my life that I fleshly contrived that had nothing to do with the Spirit. But God says there's a correcting in the house. God is the only person that can go in your past and fix it to the place where it blesses your future. I want you, wherever you are, to lift your hands to God in total surrender to Him. I'm going to ask you before you ask him anything, let's take a moment to repent before him. There were decisions that we made, a thing that we've done, and we didn't ask him nothing about it. We didn't consult him. We didn't want his reason. So God, we say we're sorry. We apologize to you. We repent before you. Because we did it wrong. understanding. We went in our own will. We went with our own mind. And God, we repent before you right now. In fact, God, when we, when you checked, a, checked us about it before, we dug our heels even deeper, trying to prove that the decision we made was alright. But God, we say we're sorry. We apologize to you. We repent before you now. We repent for the decision, for the relationship. We repent that we took the wheel from your hands and we drove our own self into the ditch. We repent before you. And now that we've repented, we want to tell you thank you that you are a forgiving God. That you don't hold our past against us. I need you to tell God thank you. That he didn't allow that decision that you made to take you out. God, I thank you that I made an unwise decision, but you still kept me in the midst of it. Thank you for your grace, and thank you for your mercy over my life. I thank you. Come on, take a minute and tell him thank you.
Because the enemy wants to hold that decision against you for the rest of your life. But praise takes the shame off of it. Tell God, thank you that you covered me in the midst of it. In the middle of my rebellion, you still covered me. And I tell you, thank you. So God, with my hands lifted up, I release it to you now. Whatever you want to do with it, God. You tell me to release it. You tell me to walk away. Whatever you tell me to do, I will listen, God, and I will obey. I pray right now for a spirit of obedience in this house that I will obey. That if I got to go back and apologize to somebody, I will obey. That if I got to go back and get it right with somebody, I will obey. I need you to open your mouth and tell the Lord, I will obey. I will obey. Whatever you tell me to do, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. I will obey, God. Kill every spirit of pride in me. Kill every spirit of pride in us, God. Kill every spirit of pride that tries to rise up. We surrender to you, God. We say have your way in our lives. And we thank you and we glorify you. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Give God the best praise you can. Everybody standing. Everybody standing. Give God the best praise you can. Listen, saints of God, I know this was rough. When I wrote this, I didn't realize it was going to be that rough. Sometimes you write stuff that the Lord say and it sounds one way in your ear. But while you're delivering it in my head, I'm like, Jesus, I know it's going to be like this. Because sometimes when you come to church, you don't need to jump and shout. You need conviction. Some of you believe, some of you know some of the best moments in church you ever had was not when you were slain in the spirit. It was when you were flat-footed and God convicted you to the place where you walked out these doors and you had to change some of the things that you were doing. But thanks be unto God that he put you in a house that ain't going to play the game with you, that could know the spirit well enough to know, no, nah, don't move on. Let's sit right in that right there because I want to do something in their life. Every head, body, right close. If you don't know Jesus for yourself, if you're unsure of your salvation, if you never confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I came to introduce you to a man that can make your life brand new, that change your life forever. My brother, my sister, his name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you just so that you have a right.